Good morning, and welcome to Embrace. Okay, that was a little bit better than last time. Let's try it again. Good morning, and welcome to Embrace. <laughs> My name is Pastor Tanya. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're here. If you are visiting with us for the first time, consider this your welcome. If you're not a hugger, I am, so I'm hugging you from right now. Um, if you are visiting or if you have a prayer request, there are some cards sitting right in front of you in the pew. We'd love for you to fill that out and put them in either one of those boxes back that way. Um, uh, there's one here and there's one over there just so we can get to know you, so we can contact you and see how you're doing. Or we can pray for you. There is a dedicated prayer team, the Embrace prayer team, that keeps all of your prayers confidential and we pray for you every single week. Uh, speaking of prayer, I'll just open us up in prayer as we get ready to worship with the worship team. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us together, either we're online or we're in the house today, here to praise you. And I pray, Lord, that we do not leave here unchanged, that we get to experience who you are and carry you with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. So glad you've chosen to worship with us at Embrace. If you would, please join us for the call to worship. It'll be on the screen behind me. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You're welcome to stand if you would like to to worship this morning or to remain seated. I personally feel like it's kind of a dreary day and easing in this morning might be just what some of us need. So if that is you, worship in whatever way feels most comfortable this morning. This is an open, safe place, and I'm hoping that you will enjoy joining in this song with us together. Trinity in harmony before the dawn of time. One breath together breathed chaos into life. From dust you lifted us to communion by your side. Unity of body, heart, and mind. You made us one. Distinct in their being, sing as one. 
join in confessing together this morning. He is in the house. Amen. <laughs> in a spirit of confession, let us join together. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church.
We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to continue to sing together and long for unity this morning in this place. We are told in John chapter 17, part of the farewell discourse, the last time Jesus talks with his disciples, that the way the world will know us and will know him is by our love for one another. So let's continue to worship this morning.
recognition of the truth we have just sung, let us ask the Lord to help us put on love this morning above all else. Put on. 
Amen. Well, it's good to be together today. Um, my name is John Gallagher, and I am the lead pastor here at the church, and I just want to say welcome to each and every one of you who are here. We're going to um, do something before we dismiss the kids, so just be patient, um, and we'll get there eventually, so be patient, kiddos, as much as you can. Um, but we, uh, today is, I think, an exciting day. Some of you all may not, but... Uh, I think it's exciting because we're going to give you a financial update this morning about our church. Yeah. And a budget presentation, too. So that's really exciting. You know, I imagine that for many of you talking of financial reports and budgets, um, maybe we'll put some people to sleep. Um, and that's okay. If you want to take a quick power nap, go for it. Um, but... I, I, I'm not going to judge you, but I do think that um, this is important because money matters, and the way we spend our money as a church um, matters. And so we want to be transparent with each of you about how we spend our money and, and also kind of what our plans are for next year. And so I'm going to invite our finance team to come up. And as they come up, y'all can give them a hand as they come forward. Y'all can just come stand beside me over here. So our finance team is a part of our lead team. They're a subcommittee of our lead team. And they provide oversight and management and visioning for kind of all the finance-related things at our church. And so the members of our team are Beatrice Rodolfo, Grant Clayton, Dustin Pugel, and Rachel Epley is also a member of the team, though she's on staff, so I won't make her get up. She, you get to see her a lot. Um, and, and I'll also sit on that team as well. I, I just want to say a few things before they share. First off, you all as a church give very generously to support um, what we're doing here. And your all's giving uh, really makes it possible to do all the things that we do here in our community. And so to start, I just want to highlight just a few things that we're doing at our church and in our community. Because I have a feeling that some of you don't know all the things we're doing. And this is really not everything. It's just only a glimpse of some of our ministries. So our Sunday morning gathering, you all are here for that now, so you know about that. That's our primary point of contact with each other throughout the week. And so I've noticed really for many years now, but even since we've come back after the pandemic, we continue to see new faces um, here every single week, and I really feel like we're experiencing more depth um, and meaning during our worship service. Our worship team uh, just continues to grow um, in numbers, but also really in their creativity and their passion, and their talent, and I've just been so excited about that. Um, one really neat thing is we have a rotation of five preachers at our church that, that really help us understand the Bible, understand how to read our Bibles, but also read this moment that we're living in and know how to follow Jesus more closely. We have uh, an active online community, and many of you all are worshiping with us right now, um, who are worshiping with us from all over the world. Our prayer team lifts up prayer requests. Every single day of our week, emails are going out to them, and they're lifting up your all's prayer request all throughout the week. We have a care team. Y'all may not know this, but we have a care team that regularly writes cards and visits those who are homebound or those who are in nursing homes or in hospitals throughout the city. We have thriving children and youth ministries that are engaging dozens of students each week from our church, but also many students from our community. Our nursery continues to grow providing just really good quality care for our littlest ones. Dozens of you are involved in small groups 
here at our church um, that meet to regularly provide accountability and support. Last year, we offered three Bible classes throughout the year, and we plan to do the same this year. We support four missionaries at our church, and this is really neat because we've always had a dream of being able to do this, and now we're supporting four missionaries. Three are serving overseas, and one of our missionaries is serving locally. Our Monday night ministry, The Gathering, uh, is stronger than ever, and, and the really neat thing about that, it's pretty much solely led by lay people at our church, and we continue to provide good food. We pray together. Uh, Jeremy even hosts a karate class. We have food bags. And we also have a worship service. And really, one thing you all may not realize, but all throughout the week, our church is a safe place for people who are just passing by, and lots of people pass by through this community. People who have fallen on hard times, they come to our church to provide comfort, uh, to find comfort in prayer, sometimes food or water, and, and really help locating resources in our community. And so those are a few things our church is doing, but the really neat thing is through partnerships, We've been actually able to extend our reach even further and deeper into our community. Through our partnership with Common Good, the nonprofit that's in our basement, um, we are able to see 75 students, over 75 involved in after school and summer programming, um, right in our basement, right underneath this sanctuary, um, Monday through Thursday. They provide support for dozens of families. They also support 30 graduates who are now in college or out in the workforce. Their social enterprise, Matchstick Goods, operates their business in our basement also. And they provide jobs for students and graduates of Common Good. And, and they're also making quality products, uh, uh, ceramics with their hands. Neighbors Immigration Clinic is on our second floor in our building. And they provide affordable uh, legal services for immigrants in Kentucky. Our church donates space to all three of these ministries so they can fulfill their missions without having to stress about utilities and about leasing space and all those things related to a building. And we're so grateful we have that opportunity to provide all that for them. We also partner with Glean Kentucky, which is a, an organization that provides fresh produce. They go to local grocery stores and they pick up the produce they're not able to sell and they bring it here and we incorporate that into our meals. First UMC, another Methodist church um, out in Andover, their campus, they provide food for our food pantry every single month and basically keep it stocked. There's an Al-Anon meeting that meets every Monday in our cafe. Our church has really become a community hub, and it's really an outreach center where people just can come here and find so many opportunities to get plugged in and meet new people and get support. And, and, it, and this doesn't even capture everything that happens here each week, but this is just a glimpse. And so I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, your continued support really enables all of this to happen. And so I'm going to invite Beatrice, our finance chair, uh, to share just a little bit of an update with you. Our Grant's going next, right? So Grant, you're going next. Sorry, I jumped the gun there. And Grant is going to give you a picture of kind of our current financial health. All right. Um, well, uh, my name is Grant. And to support our mission, the church carefully manages its financial and building assets. Our goal is to wisely steward the resources it trusted to embrace to fund our ministers, staff, and building needs. It is also important that we invest in a way that is consistent with our mission as a church keeping Jesus at the center. The church has short-term needs, such as meeting the building and personnel expenses of just the next few months. 
In addition, we need to invest for the longer term, especially as we maintain and repair our buildings, which serves such an important role for the church and the nonprofits we support. To accomplish the short-term goals and following the best practices of nonprofit financial management, the church aims to maintain at least six months worth of projected expenses in short-term safe bank accounts. We are currently meeting that objective and are also investigating how to best respond to the unprecedented inflation that has affected the entire country. But in the longer term, the church invests through the Kentucky United Methodist Foundation, which invests through Westpath. Westpath's mission is to provide investment services to churches like ours, making investments that are consistent with the UMC's mission and social principles. The church invests in both medium-term and longer-term funds through Westpath. Due to the very poor economic conditions throughout 2022, the longer-term investments declined during last year. However, we are maintaining a long-term focus for those investments. The medium-term funds at Westpath are mostly set aside and restricted for use in maintaining our buildings. There have been several significant building issues in 2022 continuing on into this year that will likely require the use of those funds. But in short, Embrace is financially healthy and debt-free. And your lead team, yes, it's, it, we are blessed to be able to say that. And your lead team and finance team will continue to seek the best ways to steward the resources that you have given to support our mission in 2023. Thank you. Good morning, church. Um, I'll be talking a little bit about how we ended last year um, regarding the operating budget and then about our budget for this year, 2023. So um, I don't know if you all um, got the handout, but if you look at the handout, um, you can see our total income and expenses for 2022. And I'm really excited to say that we actually exceeded our budget income for 2022 by $24,000. Um, so we are really blessed to be in this position and thankful to God for his provision and faithfulness and thankful to you um, for continuing to support, give, and believe in what we're doing here in Embrace. Um, last year, we had an unexpected income, an estate gift, um, which was great. And we also ended the year very strongly in our um, general giving category, um, which is our offerings that we collect on Sundays and Mondays nights, and also just checks we get in the mail. So thank you for your generosity and for partnering with us financially. I also want to mention that our wonderful staff and ministry workers do so much while staying within budget, which is amazing. We were actually $6,000 under budget for expenses last year. Um, so thank you to everyone who gives of their gifts, time, um, talents, creativity, wisdom, knowledge, and just pours their love into all our ministries here in Brace, because that is really what makes everything we do here possible. Um, you also see a line there that says building updates. Um, for those who may not know, we had a land sale a few years ago, and that money that those, the proceed from that sale um, is restricted and we can only spend it on building expenses. And so any updates and repairs that we did to our building last year were paid with those funds and not with our um, operating budget. Um, now, in regards to our 2023 budget, um, our projected income for this year is 320,000 
$550. That's an increase of $21,000 from our budgeted income for last year. Um, we believe that we can meet that goal um, as you continue to um, believe and partner with us and all the things that are happening here. Embrace that John just mentioned and um, all the things that are happening here in our community. So to support all of that, um, we have a target monthly income of $26,700. Um, for our expenses for this year, um, our budgeted expenses are $320,534. And you may notice that number is very similar to our income, um, which means that we are budgeting to break even this year. Um, so that's why it's important that we actually do meet our projected income. Um, this is an increase of $23,000 in regards to our, um, in relation to our 2022 expense budget. Um, so that increase um, is mainly due to payroll. Um, and there were two big reasons why our payroll increased this year. Um, one is that we gave all our staff raises to keep up with inflation. Um, 2022 had one of the highest inflation rates um, in recent years and um, we wanted to make sure to provide increases to account for inflation and cost of living changes. Um, we value and appreciate our staff and all the work they do and the dedication that they have to our church and to our people. And they do so much with lim limited resources. So making sure they're being fairly compensated is something we really wanted to prioritize um, in our budget. Um, another increase to payroll is that we're looking to hire for a new position, um, a building maintenance coordinator. Um, this would be a part-time position, and this person would be responsible for checking and maintaining our building and facilities. Um, we have a big building, and it's a little bit of an old building also, and there are a lot of things happening here in the facilities, as you, as you just heard, on a daily basis from the church, the gathering, common good, neighbors, all of that. Um, and so it's important to make sure facilities are being taken care of, and it's a safe place for all of those who use it. Um, and two of our values here are Embrace, our neighborhood focused and church equals diverse family. And one of the ways that we are living those out are through partnering with these amazing organizations like Common Good and Neighbors Immigration Clinic. And we donate our space and facility to these organizations because we believe what they're doing aligns with our mission, like John just mentioned. And so they use our space and, and building rent-free. And so we're helping support these organizations via this in-kind donation that is our space. So it's important for us to take good care of our building and property, um, not just for us, but also so we can share it and bless others with it. And so having a building maintenance coordinator will be um, a really big asset for that end. Um, so yeah, so those are the main things I wanted to highlight and talk about our budget. Um, if you're interested in a more detailed breakdown of our expenses, there's a printout available that will be um, in the in the chapel, yes, thank you, in the chapel after church. And so feel, feel free to go um, grab one and then look over it. And if you have any questions or comments um, or concerns about it, um, you can come talk to any one of us after church in the chapel. Thank you. All right, I'm bringing up the rear today. Um, so in my day job, I spend a lot of time looking at budgets. I look at the state budget, agency budgets, nonprofit budgets, and so forth. And one thing that I've always had front of mind is that budgets are moral documents. They're statements about what we value. And to that end, I'm really proud of how we've allocated resources here as a church. 
And, and just a quick aside, I've been a part of other churches in the past that are super staff heavy, where we expect the paid staff to do a lot of the work. And I'm looking out at my church family right now, and I know that that's not the case. I mean, the, the church are the people in the pews. We talked a little while ago about how liturgy is the work of the people, and the people are doing a lot of work in this church. Amen? It's really amazing. And yet, our staff does do a lot to help equip us, to organize us, to make sure that things are moving along. And so I'm really proud of the way that we have uh, supported them and ensured that they can continue to help us do the work of the church. Um, so aside over, as Beatrice mentioned earlier, uh, our giving is really what makes this kind of a budget possible. Uh, and, and really, it's essentially our sole source of revenue, except for every now and then, like we had this estate gift last year. It's really the giving each week that makes this happen. And unlike a traditional nonprofit organization, we don't get grants or pursue large donors. Um, in fact, most say Sundays, I think we actually underemphasize giving. Usually, John or Christina just sort of mention it offhandedly at the end. They're like, hey, there's a couple boxes. If you want to give, that's great. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's a healthier approach to talking about giving than a lot of churches I've been a part of in the past. Uh, but I'm not John or Christina, so I get to overemphasize giving for just a minute. <laughs> I am convinced that while our giving has practical implications, it's also a spiritual practice in my discipleship that I deeply value. In a lot of ways, we live in a society that values folks for what they produce and consume. And that idea has become such an identity issue that one of the first things we ask new people when we meet them is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? As if somehow the way that they earned money was the foremost way of identifying who they are. But when I give, Part of what I'm doing is rejecting that notion. Instead, I'm acknowledging that my allegiance is to God, who is the giver of all good gifts, not mammon or the market god or capitalism or whatever you want to call our culture's obsession with money. Giving for me is a discipline that reminds me where my allegiance lies and where I place my identity. It also keeps the lights on. So, as we head into a new year, I urge you all, my church family, to give in that spirit, to continue bringing the kingdom of God to our community in neighborly love. Thank you all. Thank you all for letting us share a little bit. And like Beatrice said, if you want to know more or have questions or want to see a more detailed version of our budget and ask any questions you want about it, um, we're going to be in the chapel, which is on your way out if you go out this way. It's just the door will be propped open. Pop on in, and we'll be available to talk with you about anything, and we'll also have those for you um, to, to check out. If you're not interested, no, no worries at all, but we'll be there if you are. And, and if any questions or anything come up anytime, these folks that you saw up here, feel free to ask them. You can ask Rachel or myself as well. We'd be happy to talk with you about the budget. So what we're going to do now is um, we're going to dismiss our children for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. So if you are a child, four years old, all the way through fifth grade, then you're invited to go to the Wonder Room right now. So let's give them a hand as they come forward. If you, if you are a parent and you came with a child then, and you've never been up there, maybe it's been a really long time, then please walk up with your child to make sure the proper forms are filled out and that you know what's going on, but we'll, uh, we'll let them transition out, and I'm going to grab some water real quick.
So as um, the kids are transitioning out, um, I encourage you all just to maybe take a few breaths, you know, let's uh, center ourselves a little bit. It's a little bit of a hard transition to go from talking about budgets to going into our prayer time, particularly on my heart today, I'm feeling more like lamenting and crying out and protesting to God just because of all the, the continued tragedies we just continue to see over and over and over again in our communities. Um, you know, not to mention what, you know, we, we have really haven't even talked about the, some of the mass shootings that we saw that happened out in California recently and just how devastating that is and, and how, you know, these Asian communities there are targeted, it seems, by those, which is just uh, heartbreaking and so, so not what God wants. And then obviously, I imagine most of you, if not all of you, have heard about Tyree Nichols and his just tragic, brutal murder um, at the hands of these police officers this week. And so, you know, there's just a lot on my heart. And honestly, like, we've talked a lot about this kind of stuff over and over and over again, and, and it's just getting so tiring, I know. And for many of you all, it's been decades long in your lives of having to see the same stuff repeated over and over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've got to not only talk about this, this man in particular who was killed, but we need to ask kind of the systems that created this process where this could actually happen. You know, it's not just about these five officers. It's like, how do we have systems of policing in our country that allow for things like this to happen on a regular basis? And this is only what we're, we're seeing. This is only what's coming to light. And, and we know that there are so many stories like this that, that we never actually get the report. And the official report usually isn't true, right? Um, we know that. And so we often, we just, it's so heavy, it's so hard on my heart right now. And so all I, all I really know what to do at this point is just to pray and to spend time with God and cry out to God. And so I'm going to kneel at the altar, and, um, and I invite you all, if anyone wants to come kneel at the altar with me, you're welcome. You can also just stay in your seats, no worries there. Um, but I'm going to read just a few scriptures to start out, give us some space for silence, and, and then I'll, we'll close by saying the Lord's Prayer together, okay? And the words to the prayer will be on the screen. So I'm going to kneel at the altar. If anybody would like to come kneel, you're welcome to now, and we'll just start out with some silence, and then I'll read some scriptures for us. I invite you just to begin our time of prayer just by breathing. Breathe in. Breathe out. Our breath is a reminder of God's Spirit. God's Spirit that lives within us. God's Spirit that is moving all around us. Bringing life into this world. Bringing light into the darkness. I know many of us are coming this morning with heavy hearts. Weak knees aching backs. Many of us are just devastated, and I know particularly those of us uh, who've just continued to see this over and over and over again. 
Lord, we have on our hearts, particularly our black brothers and sisters in our community who just continue to see their people beat down and murdered over and over and over again. God, we lament, we had longed and hoped that in 2020 with Maude Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and many others, those deaths that became so public, we had hoped that there would be more change. And we lament, Lord, that it seems like nothing's changed. And we take that to you, God. I want to read these words from Psalm 55 that came to my mind as in spirit as I was prayerfully considering kind of how I'm feeling this morning. The writer says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. I've been thinking particularly of Tyree's mother and his family. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings of the dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far away from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. These words could have been written today. Some other scriptures that came to my mind were in the Gospels, particularly Jesus, in two instances when he wept in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, and he knew what fate was awaiting him. He knew that the authorities were going to arrest him, that they were going to convict him of trumped-up charges and put him to death. And it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And I believe Jesus is weeping over our cities today, saying similar thoughts, if you had only known what would bring you peace. It is not more violence and more pain and more death, more weapons. It is the path that Jesus laid out for us, of love and of service, of community, of lifting up those on the bottom, of taking care of the weak, of investing in our communities, of witnessing to the kingdom of God here on earth. Another scripture that came to my mind was John chapter 11. One of Jesus' good friends, Lazarus, had died. And he showed up to the community and he saw all his friends and some family there weeping in pain because they lost a friend. It says when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And when Jesus saw, he began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus is weeping now at the loss of someone he loved deeply. Jesus is weeping now over all the lives that have been taken all too soon. He is weeping now over all the lives lost to unnecessary and absurd and ridiculous violence. Because Jesus is deeply moved and he's also deeply disturbed. See how much Jesus loves them. God, we come to you today and we just, Lord, my, my desire, God, is that you would break my heart for what breaks yours. That you would help me to borrow your eyes and to see every single person the way you see them. Lord, I repent for my inaction. I repent for my the prejudice and the the racism that lives within me, that has shaped me in this country that we live in. I repent for, God, the ways that I have remained silent when I should have spoken up. I repent for the ways that I've cared more for my own safety and my own comfort and ignored the cries of my, my people, God, that need you so much, that need, that need God, to be set free. God, I just repent on behalf of Christians all across America and our world who have all too often chosen the path of just this middle of the road, don't really say much of anything, don't stand for much of anything, don't fight for much of anything. We are still living the exact same way that Martin Luther King lamented in his letter to the, from the Birmingham jail. The white moderate who just stands around and does nothing. And all the while, people are suffering and dying around us. And God, we repent of that, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to follow the Spirit, to follow that freedom wind that would lead us into the spaces where we need to go, that we would be truly set free, set free to love and to serve and to give our lives for the sake of others. Help us not to... Help us to, to ignore those lies that are telling us that it's okay, it's not a big deal. Those that are saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. Help us, Lord, to see things the way you see. Help us to stay awake to both the horror and the hope. That you would help us, Lord, to continue to dig in, to live in that space of lament and gratitude. But help us not to have a blind optimism or to speak about hope and joy and love while all the while we're ignoring the pain and the anger and the hurt that so many are facing around us. Lord, we need you so much. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to say. So we turn our eyes to you, Jesus. And we ask that you would be our God and that you would lead us even through this deep darkness that we're experiencing. And you would help us to know how we can play a part to provide healing for this sick nation. Pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work, that hard and painful work, 
cleaning out the wounds and pave the way for healing. We pray that this darkness would not be the darkness of a tomb, but the darkness of a womb. And that, God, we would be waiting and expecting and have hope of new life to emerge out of the dark places. But help us not to rush to that place. Help us to be willing to have the courage to sit in the hardship and the suffering. Come alongside those who are suffering more than others and be willing to, to, to be there with them. And we thank you that you are, God, your spirit is the paraclete, the one who falls down beside us. And God, we pray that you would be especially close to those who are suffering today, that you would bring them comfort in their hearts and that you would help them, that you would be the space where they can throw all their rage and frustration and anger and that you would hold them and walk with them through this time. And help us to hold and, 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 and walk with each other through this time as well. And to be Jesus for one another today. Lord, we love you so much. And we join together and we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. John is uh, feeling the, the Spirit leading him to, to share scripture with us today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over and, and let him do that. Sometimes when my heart is so heavy, like it is today and this week, I turn to scripture because that's where we get some good advice. And in scripture, the types of verses that help me out the most are the ones that say, how long, O Lord? It lets us know there's a cloud of witnesses that have asked that question, how long? How long am I going to see this on the news? How long are my black and brown students going to have to have the talk with their parents? How long are my girls going to be treated differently than my boys? How long, O oh Lord, is injustice going to reign? How long? How long? So Habakkuk is one of those how long words. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Sometimes we got to get real with God. He doesn't want us to hide our feelings. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The next line says, the Lord replied. Maybe we should say how long a little longer, because God is here to reply. And he says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even 
if someone told you about it. So let's wait and know that God is going to do something. Amen. Thank you, John, for sharing that word with us. You know, we're, we got a text that we're going to look into for a few minutes here, and we're going to continue to, to dig in over the next few weeks to talking about just kind of where we're at as Christians and what Jesus is asking us to do in these pivotal moments in the history of our world. And so today, we'll, hopefully this text can, can speak to us, um, no matter what you're experiencing right now in this moment we're living in. So one of my best friends growing up was this guy named Rich, and he actually used to go to church here years ago. Um, I mean, years and years ago. He'd lead worship here sometimes, and uh, we became friends back in high school, and we kind of immediately clicked. You know, I was a little more reserved, uh, quiet kid in high school, sometimes kind of negative, you know, and my friend Rich was this crazy, positive, like always down for an adventure kind of guy. Um, now, my friend Dustin's kind of like that in my life, uh, but I, I need people like that in my life, someone who's just like real positive, you know, because it helps lift me up, um, but our personalities really meshed well together, and we became uh, best friends, and Laura and I, we started dating back when we were 16, and so we were dating at the time, and Laura loved Rich, too. Uh, they were both funny, and so they, they always kept uh, everybody laughing, and so we, we hung out all the time together, the three of us. We had an issue in our friendship during college, and I'm sure y'all have had this in your relationships with people. Some stuff happened, you know, and, and things just weren't the same. We didn't talk as much, and we all knew things were off. And I think uh, Rich had heard a sermon, if I remember the story correctly, by a pastor named Rob Bell. Y'all, many of, If you're my age, you know who he is, because if you grew up in church, but I would always listen to his sermons when I was in a uh, high school and college, and I just loved them, and, and my friend liked him too, and so I think he listened to a sermon by Rob Bell, and it was about reconciliation, it was about resolving differences and conflict um, with people in your life, and the text may have been the actual text that I chose uh, for this morning, I'm not sure, but Rich heard this sermon, and he felt convicted about our relationship, and he made a decision to do something about it. I remember the night we were all hanging out at our old youth pastor's house, and Rich came over that night, and he wanted, he said, I want, Laura, can, can you and John come out on the back deck? I want to talk to y'all in private. And so we went out on the back porch, and he asked us, he's like, yeah, are y'all upset with me? Are y'all hurt about something I've done? And so we were able to really get deep in that moment, and we worked through our difference, you know, and we were able to resolve um, our issues. Rich uh, took with this guy named Glenn Stassen, he, was a, he passed away in the last few years, but a biblical scholar. Um, Glenn Stassen called what Rich took a transforming initiative. He took a transforming initiative. Led by the Spirit, Rich made a decision. He made a choice that he was going to take the initiative and try to make things right in our relationship. And because he was willing to take the initiative, we experienced transformation. A transforming initiative. Can you think of any times in your life when you or someone else took a transforming initiative and made things right in a broken relationship? Hopefully you've had experiences like that because sometimes that's, that's what it takes, right? Someone has to be willing to make that step. 
This idea of transforming initiatives has opened up the Sermon on the Mount to me. I told you all that last week we're beginning a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this was the first text that we were going to do. And as I've thought about transforming initiatives and learned about this idea, it has helped me understand better what Jesus was actually talking about in the Sermon on the Mount and how we can actually live out these teachings instead of just saying, well, they're, they're too high, they're these high ideals that I can never attain. No, like we actually can. And this idea of transforming initiatives has changed my way of understanding it. And so Jesus' ultimate goal in the Sermon on the Mount is that we do something that we do something to break these vicious cycles of sin and violence and, and all this stuff that we see in our lives and harm, that we need to say to ourselves, I'm going to do something to make a change. You know, often we're unhappy with the, things, with the way things are. We get stuck in bad habits and patterns, and we're not sure how to change. And Jesus in this sermon is inviting all of us to creatively imagine how we can take transforming initiatives today to break the harmful cycles and get unstuck. Have you all been stuck in a harmful cycle before or had a relationship that's stuck in a harmful cycle? Jesus is going to offer us some ways to help get unstuck. So his method of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going I'm to tell you what it is, and then I'm going to break it down with an actual passage to help you see what I'm talking about. So you maybe know, and if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, it's in chapters 5 through 7 uh, of Matthew. And it gets into this section where he says, like, you've heard it was said. And then he says, but I tell you this. Yeah, he says it over and over and over again. And so what he's doing here is first he's referring back to the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And so first he's affirming the Mosaic law. You've heard it was said. You shall not murder. That's what ours today is going to say. But then what he does is he radicalizes the law is the second thing. And I'm going to explain what that means. And then the third thing he does is he offers a transforming initiative that his followers can take to break that vicious cycle that develops, all right? And so it's going to all make sense when I break it down, all right? So let me read our text real quick. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and if anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So I'm going to break this down for you, all right? There's a lot going on here. So first in this story, Jesus affirms the Mosaic law prohibiting murder, all right? It says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Taking someone's life is universally said is wrong in the Bible. Murdering someone is wrong. Murder is a fundamental denial of the value and worth of a human being. It is really one of the most extreme examples of dehumanizing behavior. 
And, and we've seen that this week in the way that Tyree Nichols was treated. And, and they took his life, right? Murder is a fundamental denial of the humanity and the dignity of a person. And every single person is created in God's image, right? So murder, at the heart of the law of murder is that you shall not murder, is about the basic respect for human life. All people bear God's image. All people have worth. When you kill someone, you are in effect saying to them that their life has no value and no worth. But Jesus understood that most people were abiding by that law, all right? But the same people who were maybe not murdering folks were still engaged in other dehumanizing behaviors that showed little respect or value for human dignity and life. And so what Jesus does is he radicalizes the command, do not murder. Now when I say radical, what does radical really mean? When we hear radical, we may think uh, of a negative word, all right? Sometimes when we hear the word radical today, it, it makes us think, you know, when you think of someone being radicalized, we think of them taking it too far, right? When we think of religious people being radicalized, like a lot of bad things can happen, right? We think of dysfunction, inappropriate behavior. We think of even violence and hate and control. You may think of QAnon or January 6th or mass shootings when you think of the word radical. But that's not what the word radical fundamentally means. Radical essentially means to the root. To the root. So to radicalize the Mosaic law means to get to the root of the law. To the essence of the law. To the values that were underneath of the law, right? So Jesus is saying... That it's not just about observing the letter of the law, but it's about understanding the spirit and the essence of the law. And we Christians get this wrong all the time. To be radicalized means you get to the essence, you get to the root, you get to the heart of the matter. And if we can do this, then we can experience transformation. So to understand the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand what it means to be radical. To understand what it means when Jesus says you need to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's basically saying you need to get beyond what some of them were doing just following the letter of the law. And you need to get to the root. You need to be radicalized and understand what it means to be radical. It's moving beyond just following rules and getting to the essence, the root of those rules. So Jesus radicalizes the command do not murder by taking us deeper to the heart of the matter. Perhaps most people weren't killing other people, yet they still had anger in their hearts. They still insulted people. They engaged in verbal abuse and character assaults. When he says, when you say raka, that was a verbal, that was abusive language about another person. Or calling someone a fool. It was this public humiliation. He's saying people were still doing that, but maybe not killing people. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point here. If you think that's okay because you're not actually causing physical harm to somebody. And so he makes it clear, if you harbor anger against a person, if you say insults to them, if you publicly talk bad about them and humiliate them and publicly shame them, you're subject to judgment just like the murderers. Just like murder is dehumanizing, verbal abuse, inappropriate displays of anger, harboring resentment, these things are also dehumanizing. Now, just a side note, and, and this is particularly relevant for today. And I was going to say this even before um, some of the events of this past week. But I don't believe 
Jesus is talking about righteous anger, at like injustice and oppression and things that are going on around us. The prophetic witness in Scripture in church history is full of righteous anger. Jesus himself, if you've read the gospel, showed righteous anger sometime. When he went into the temple and flipped over the tables and all that, Jesus was angry, right? He was angry. He got angry at the religious leaders sometimes. There are things we should be angry about. However, Jesus is talking about harboring anger and resentment against people and allowing that anger to come out in verbal assaults and harmful speech and and hurtful behavior. And also, there's a difference between being angry at a system or the kind of powers and principalities working in this world and me harboring anger at Lawrence, for instance, right? There's a difference between those. So when you read verse 22, which, you know, it says that you, if you call someone a fool, you are in danger of the fire of hell, right? You might get a little nervous about that. I remember when I was a kid, I... Somebody had used this as a joke, you know, because I think I called my brother a fool, and they're like, you better go read Matthew chapter 5, verse such and such, and I read it, and I'm like, I ain't never saying that again. Um, For calling someone a fool, right? Danger of the fire of hell, that's serious, right? Yes, it is serious. And, and, And Jesus, I think, is using this intense language to help us understand that this matters, that our words matter, that's what's going on in our hearts matter, that this kind of dehumanizing and hateful speech and these attitudes and these actions, they matter. And we need to understand that this kind of talk even can lead down dangerous paths. And we've seen this even in our uh, publicly today where we have these news stations and these powerful people with influence who are saying such hurtful and harmful things. And it's actually, I mean, we're talking about in dangers of the fire of hell. We've seen hell on earth by a lot of the violence that's been inflicted on others based on the rhetoric of people in power that are empowering them and emboldening people to go do very harmful and hurtful things. Jesus is on to something, right? He knows that what we say, what's in our hearts, all of that matters, and it can lead down really dangerous paths. People may say, I've never laid a hand on anybody. But Jesus seems to be arguing that our speech, our anger, our resentment, verbal abuse, these, these are also forms of violence against fellow human beings. And the point is to take us to the root, to the heart of the matter. So in order to break the cycle, the vicious cycle of violence and unhealthy anger, we've got to acknowledge first the violence that exists within our own hearts. And we've got to own up to that. We've got to take that seriously. So in the next few verses, Jesus gives some practical application. He does what we could call creative theology, helping us figure out how to live out the radical will of God in this broken world in which we live. And so he gives some examples of ways that the people in that time could try to do some things to break these vicious cycles that he had seen happening around him. We're going to get angry with each other. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have issues. We're going to have resentment that starts to grow within our hearts. So what do we do about it? So he offers us a transforming initiative that we can take. And it's pretty simple. If you think someone has something against you, if there is a rift in that relationship, if there is anger and resentment growing within you, Jesus says, go to that person and seek reconciliation. He even says that if you're in the middle of worship and you realize Hey, 
somebody got something against me. I got somebody against somebody else. He said, stop your worship first. He says, if you're offering a sacrifice, leave the sacrifice at the altar and go get reconciled. Get right with that person. Now think about how serious this is. He says reconciling with people in your community is more important than worshiping God in the temple. Now, this is a big deal. Jesus was a Jewish man. The sacrificial system was how they lived their lives. This is how they were made right with God. This was their worship. It was very important. Their lives were built around it. Yet Jesus is saying that you need to postpone your worship to get things right with your people. It makes me think of this passage in 1 John. He says, we love because he first loved us. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So another thing I want us to think about is this, that, you know, this idea of like reconciliation with someone who has hurt you or you've got an issue with, it's not triangulation, all right? And I've, I've said this before, but I need to get real specific because And let me explain what I mean. From my experience, here's how most people deal with conflict and their anger. Imagine I have a problem with Christina, all right? We work together every day. We work together a long time. And and I get upset. I'm very angry with Christina. I don't like what she's done, right? Now, what usually happens in our society, in our culture, and this happens in church all the time, is that instead of going to talk to her about it, I'm going to go talk to my other coworker, Rachel, about it. And I'm going to be like, Rachel, like, you don't, you wouldn't believe what she's doing. Like, Christina is off the hook. She is just on a power trip. She's hurting people. She's causing harm and major issues. And, and then maybe after talking to Rachel about it, I go talk to somebody else about it. I'll bring John into it too, you know, and bring the whole family into it. And I'll go tell Grant about it and be like, man, you don't understand what's happening. And then, and then maybe um, I go to my small group and I, I, sh- I share with them, like, I got a prayer request, y'all. It's about Christina, you know. She really... Really is causing me problems. You wouldn't believe how dysfunctional she's been lately, you know. And then I start sharing with all of them about it. And then if things get real bad, maybe I even go public with it on social media. And and maybe I don't mention her name. Maybe I don't, but people gotta know what's going on, right? We gotta get it out there. And all the while, like I've never actually talked to the person that I would have the issue with. Now, is this how Jesus wants us to deal with these situations? Of course not. Jesus says, go to that person and be reconciled. And it's so important that you do it. He says, I don't want you to even worship until you do it because it's that important to him. You know, what we usually do is we create unhealthy triangles. Instead of going to people directly, we talk to other people and we create that triangle, right? Instead of going here, I go up here, and then maybe it gets back to that person, and then then there's pain, then people feel betrayed, they feel hurt, and it just makes things worse. As followers of Jesus, our work here on earth is too important for us to be feuding with each other all the time and harboring resentment against one another and spreading gossip and all this nonsense around our communities. We've got to stick together. We've got to work together and resolve conflicts as they arise. We can't let anger and resentment and bitterness and all that fester and grow within us. Our work is too important for that. The people people that Matthew was writing this gospel for in his community They were poor Christians who were facing intense persecution. They had the law coming after them. They had brutality. They had violence, all this stuff in their lives. And and Matthew, Jesus is essentially saying to these folks, 
He's like, man, y'all ain't got time for unresolved conflicts. Like, y'all need each other. Like, we can't make it in this world that is so harsh and harmful and violent if we don't have each other. And this year may even get harder, y'all. And we're going to need each other. And so Jesus is saying, like, y'all got to look out for each other. Y'all got to make these things right. And I know this is messy sometimes, all right? This is not one of those things that's just like, go do this, because there are a lot of complicated situations out there. It's not just like, I got a problem, we get together, we make it right. Me and my friend were able to do that in that moment, but we actually had more problems later in our relationship. Had to do it again, right? At my wife's transforming initiative, she took in the relationship, you know? And so these things happen, but there's also even harder situations. Sometimes there's abuse or mistreatment. Sometimes there's bullying, and I'm not saying you got to go deal with that person like that, all right, because sometimes that's not even healthy, and that might not even be a safe option. You may need support. You may want to confront that person and go and talk to them, but there may need to be accountability. You may need someone to go with you. You may need the help of a therapist and other folks to come alongside you in that journey. There may need to be boundaries set. So it is complicated. It's messy, and I know it doesn't always work even. I've been... I, I have these conversations with people a lot, and I've experienced myself. I was talking with a colleague recently, and she shared that a a leader in her church um, who had left her church community got upset, and they were hurt, and they left. And my colleague tried to address it with her, tried to work towards reconciliation, but the woman wasn't honest with her. And so, like, if there's not going to be honesty and transparency, it's going to be hard to, to actually move forward, right? You may just have to. All right, we're just going to have to move separate ways. It's going to happen, but I think Jesus is saying we've got to take it seriously, and we've got to think creatively, and we've got to try because these vicious cycles of anger and resentment and broken relationships and coming out in hurtful ways, we've got to try to get to the root of that kind of stuff, and we've got to break these vicious cycles by taking the initiative and doing something about it. So I want to ask you all just a few questions here just to think about for a moment. What transforming initiative do you need to take this morning? You know, you can think about your relationships, and do you have strained relationships that need to be made right? Sometimes all it takes is actually one person saying, I'm going to take the initiative and do something about it. Are you harboring anger and resentment in your heart that you need to let go of? This isn't one of the questions, but maybe that, that idea of triangulation hit home for you, and you're like, man, I've been spending a lot of time talking about other people when they're not around. And maybe, maybe you need to think about it, that's not actually healthy, and that's making it worse. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to cut this cycle off, this vicious cycle that's happened. Get to the root of it and go talk to that person about it. Do you need to go to someone and say sorry for something you've done and take that initiative? So I want you all to be thinking about this this morning, and and if it's true, then maybe you need to do something about it. And I'm not saying maybe, I'm not saying you have to do it right now before you take communion or anything, uh, because you may need to think through it a little bit. (laughs) But don't think too much, because sometimes we think too much, and then we don't end up doing what we know we need to do, right? Um, But sometimes transformation is possible, and we think that it's not. We think we're always going to be stuck in these harmful cycles. But maybe it's just waiting on you. Maybe it's waiting on you to take the initiative and to make things right. So we're going to share communion today. 
And one, one really neat thing that Christians throughout history have done, and we're not, we're not going to do it this morning, but I just want to tell you about the tradition because I think it's pretty interesting, is that before taking communion, some traditions will do what they call passing the peace. And so they'll go around and they'll pass the peace to one another. And, and the idea is that if you had something against somebody, then you need to make it right before you come take communion, right? Because it's taking off this teaching of Jesus, right? Because the early Christians used the Sermon on the Mount as their guide to how they lived their lives. And so they're like, Jesus taught us to do this. He taught us not to, to leave our worship at the altar and go make something right with someone before we do it. And so they're like, we're going to do that. And, and that's like the simplest form of faith right there, right? That we're just going to live out the things that Jesus taught us to do. And so that example that, that we're going to take this so seriously, just as much as we take taking communion and worshiping together, that we're going to do that. And so um, I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we'll, we'll share communion together. If you need a communion cup, then Rick is in the back. Just raise your hand. Rick will be happy to bring you one um, if you'd like to take it. God, we come to you today, and we're so grateful for your love and your grace. God, we've, we've talked about a lot this morning. We've been on a journey together in this worship service. and We've sang your praises. We've, we've talked about your desire for us to love, to put love above all else. We've tried to, to take your teaching on money and finances and all that to heart in the way that we share and, and think about our money at church. We've We've lamented and we've grieved and we've cried out in anger and hardship and, and the broken hearts of all the pain that we see around us. And God, we've also been challenged by your word to, to think about our relationships and the people in our lives, particularly right here in our church community and, and how we can work towards wholeness in our relationships. God, we, we hope that everything we've done has come from you and, and your teaching and your example and that we're trying to follow in your way, your way of love, your way of togetherness, your way of solidarity. Help us to continue to have courage to walk down that path. Help us to have eyes to see that it's the best path. It's a path that our world's been walking, isn't getting to, getting to very good places right now. Lord, I pray that you would just be present to us as we share communion together, that you pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and juice, that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ. Fill us up today in a fresh way. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll let you go ahead and start opening up your communion cup. We can take this together. I got an extra one out there. Anyway, thank you, Dan. You're going to share yours with me? Thank you. You can split it in half. We can, uh... Perfect. What an illustration. The, the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat. Now that's love right there, being willing to share your tiny little communion wafer with your brother.
I encourage you to take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. We're going to close our time by just singing a song together. It's a simple song um, that the band is going to lead us in. It may be new to you, so you can catch on and, or just let the words wash over you. But you can just remain in your seats or you can come kneel at the altar if you'd like. If you'd like prayer, then we've got uh, folks from our prayer team in the back who would love to lift you up in prayer. If you'd like me to pray with you, then I'd love to do that as well. Um, I'll, I'll be up here at the front. Just come over and find me. But let's just spend a few moments worshiping together uh, before we dismiss.
Well, it's been really good to be together today. Um, thanks for bearing with us. I know we went a little bit longer, but we had to get through our budget stuff and all that. So I thank you all. And we just, the spirit was moving too. So we got to allow space for God's spirit to move. So I invite all of y'all to stand for the benediction. Um, before that, I'll just remind you, if you want to meet us in the chapel for the budget um, conversation, just to ask any questions, and please do. But I encourage you to prepare your hearts, receive the benediction. The benediction is just the sending out. It's sending you all out to live out the things that God does in your heart today. So may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.